Today, as I mentioned, is our big uh, Sunday where great things can be expected and God can use something small, someone, a body, a small body, and do a great, a great work with a few fish, a few loaves, feeding the thousands with a small little David killing a Goliath, with a man like Gideon, the least of the least. He wasn't the least. He was the least of the least. <laughs> and God can do something great with him. And this is why, folks, I for one believe that God uses the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. He uses something small and he says, now I'll get the glory. Because if he uses the great, the mighty, and the famous, where is his glory? Where is his glory? I don't get all, all jacked up and, and, and excited about a, a celebrity getting saved and now suddenly having crusades. The Bible says, do not lay hands on anyone quickly. That doesn't mean don't pray for their, their disease quickly. It says don't give them a microphone and a stage quickly. That's what it's actually saying. Don't send somebody quickly. Let them grow in the Lord if there's ever... Um, if there's ever a regret I have is that that's, I just went into the ministry <laughs> and then went to Bible school and then eventually got married and... You know, but, uh, but it's important for us to know God uses the foolish things, the small, the little, the, the fish, the loaves, the little David and the Gideon to, to do great things, to do great things. Jesus will never uh, ride into town on the coattails of a Michael Jackson. He's not going to do it. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus and Him alone. And when you see mighty things taking place, you go like, how did that happen? Oh, no, they love Michael Jackson. <laughs> you see, that'll never happen. It'll be because it's the foolish things of this world. I'm not saying God cannot use somebody. He can. But that's not usually the model. I hope you know what I'm talking about. Uh, you know, points of passion is so close to my heart. And, and when we started, I was so blessed when I saw how this that's in our hearts is in our hearts corporately also. And I knew it only because of what has happened in the last three, four years through this concept of points of passion. Why is it called points? Because we have three points, our Jerusalem, our Judea and Samaria, and the ends of our worlds. That's what Jesus told us to do. Reach out to those three areas and do what? Make disciples. Make disciples. When I saw just how it's in everybody's hearts because of how God was working through us as a corporate congregation, um, I know that this is the Lord. I know that this is anointed, and I know that God is doing some great things and the testimonies that have come through because of these ministries. Now, uh, you guys, for most of you, you already know what we do. But in our Jerusalem, which is our Chicagoland area, we have partnered with or became a partner of Reclaim 13 a part of Reclaim 13, which is a, res a teenage rescuing um, ministry that rescues girls from sex trafficking. And I am told that when these girls are rescued, they are put into beautiful homes, which are um, nobody knows where. And they are protected because this is a dangerous thing to do. They are given an education. They are given food. And they are raised up for a future, to have a future. 
Most of all, these girls are being ministered to the gospel. When they hear the gospel, God injects the faith they need to believe in Christ. We also have become a part of a ministry called Crossroads Kids Club. Uh, This kids club reaches out to public schools with the gospel. And um, they've had some great testimonies that I've heard of young people who have heard the gospel for a couple of years and now actually wants to go into the ministry. I read a Barna a stat that came from the Barna Group. I don't know if you're familiar with them, but they come up with all these stats as they survey different churches around the country and, and ministry as a whole. But one thing that's very striking to me is that almost 90 to 93% of all people in the full-time ministry comes out of a children's ministry somewhere. That's when their destiny was connected. A very, very small percentage of people in the ministry today actually got saved later on in life and went into the ministry. But most of the workers in the kingdom of God today comes out of a children's ministry. We have to pray for our children's workers. We have to pray for our children's church teachers. We have to pray for our children's ministry. And if you're a parent, get your child in there that they can hear the word of God from a different voice also. Amen? And be consistent with it. It's so, so crucial. It is so crucial. The Crossroads Kids Club has been doing a great job for years. We also have become a part of TLC Pregnancy Services. This is where they minister to ladies um, who are facing unplanned pregnancy situations. I want to mention something to you that's very clear to me. Do you know how the Bible talks about all things work together for the good to those? who love Him and are called according to His purposes, His purposes, His purposes. Well, throughout Points of Passion, every single ministry we've become part of, there's either because there's a drought, there's a famine, there's homelessness, there's poverty, there's abandoned children, there's no water, there's no food, there's unplanned pregnancy, there's hard times, there's crisis. And how is an unplanned pregnancy from God? It's not. The child is. The timing is not. How is famine from God? It's not. How, is, how, is, how are these crises from God? All I can tell you is we have the opportunity of becoming a part of ministries that can use those crisis moments in those parts of the world as an avenue, an open door through which they can come and speak the gospel, the good news to that heart. And it's by hearing this word of God that faith comes and they can come alive. And this is why we partner with the ministries that we do. Then in our Judea and our Samaria, we have uh, partnered with Association of Related Churches. They have been the most effective church planting organization that we know of. And then the ends of the earth, nations beyond our U.S. border, we have become a part of our uh, sister church, of course, Garden Route in South Africa. We have become a part of um, New Hope Children in Ghana, We've become a part of Children's Challenge in Swaziland where they drill wells, they educate and they feed and they start churches around those wells and those schools. We have become a part of Light for the World Christian Church in Rini. I'm so excited about this church. You should see it. Rini in the Ukraine is, when you you look through there, and he's walked through the streets with me on his phone to show me what it looks like there and where the church is at and where, and it's like old communist Russia. And when you look at the people, you'll see that they look like they come from 
uh, old communist Russia and, and there's a tremendous amount of abuses, whether it be drug abuse or alcohol abuse, um, joblessness and of course a lot of poverty and uh, a lot of uh, physical abuse inside of families, a lot of abandoned children. And so they have started a fantastic work in that town and that town has been lifted. There's hope in that town and they've also got their authorities that used to be against them now for them. Then we also have become part of Touch Ministries, which is a Haiti outreach. Uh, this is our first year. They've done a wonderful job in Haiti. And then also Mark Camille's small group she mentioned to me this morning have already contributed, um, and they will be contributing over 1,000 to, I must just throw it out in your mouth, Mercy Ministries. That's right, Mercy Ministries. And that also is a ministry to young ladies that have gone through abuse. Um, and, and addictions, yeah. We actually have known some of, the, some of the ladies that have gone through there, and God's done a great, great job through that ministry. Why do we live sacrificially when it comes to points of passion? Why do we do this? Sometimes you have to remind yourself why you... Change your lifestyle in order to do something for someone else. So I wanted to share with you five reasons, four points of passion. And as I was studying this, I had to text my wife and I said, Tina, I, I am so convinced. I fear the Lord. I love the Lord. I love the Word of God. And I'm so convinced of this. You know, uh, I'm, I'm going out on a limb like we haven't before, and I'm so excited about it. Even if, I'm the, if we're the only ones, <laughs> I'm excited about it. Because God's heart for these people, and we have all these crisis moments around the world, whether it be fa famine or abandoned children, all these moments where we can walk through these widely open doors and preach the gospel openly and, and confidently. Now, we don't know where these girls are who are being trafficked, but we know who knows them. We don't know how to rescue them, but we know who knows how to rescue them, and we can become part of that, of that group. So why do we do what we do? First, because Jesus commanded us to, Matthew 28, 18, He says, and Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. Make converts, no, disciples of all the nations. That's why I'm so excited about Rini, for one. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. This is Jesus at the end, after, you know, everything he has said, after the resurrection. He goes, uh, now, this is how you disciple them. You teach them to observe all that I have commanded you already. And lo, I'm always with you, even to the ends of this age. Acts 1 verse 8. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest parts of the earth. Why do I participate in such a big way in points of passion? Because Jesus mandated us, called us. He asked me to. He asks you to. The second reason is because the apostles encouraged us. In Ephesians 4.28 it says, He who steals must steal no longer. Stop it. Don't steal time from your boss. Hanging out at the water fountain for a half an hour. 
Why did I just get convicted? Performing with his own... No, not for a half an hour. I do less, but still, you understand the point. <laughs> he says, he who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor performing with his own hands what is good so that he will have what? Something. To share with who? With one who has need. That's one of the reasons we get up in the morning and we go. Why? So that we have the resources in order to do good to those who have need and use it as an open door to bring the gospel so that when they hear it, faith can rise in their heart. Hebrews 13, 16, the apostles encourage us to do this. We, we see that it says, and don't forget to do good and to share with those in need. These are the sacrifices that please God. So why do I participate in points of passion? Because Jesus asked me. Number two, why? Because the apostles encouraged me. Number three, why? Because the promises of God urge me to. I have too many to read, but I'll start. Galatians 6, 9. So let's not get tired of doing what is good, folks. This is year four, year five, I don't know. Let us not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Do not give up. Turn to your neighbor and say, don't give up. Promises of God are yea and amen. To you. <laughs> Verse 10, therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, I read that and I thought, famine, starvation, abandoned children, unwanted pregnancies, Sex trafficking, a dark city, in a dark country, in a dark nation, who have not heard the gospel. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. If there are Christians out there, they first. Go help them, support them, provide for them. Come to their rescue. Hebrews 6.10, for God is not unjust. He will not... Forget how hard you have worked for Him and how you have shown your love to Him. How? By caring for other believers. By caring for others. God will not forget you. Could you tell your neighbor that? God will not forget you. Luke 6.38 For if you give, you will get. Your gift will return to you in full and overflowing measure. Pressed down and shaken together to make room for more and running over. Whatever measure you use to give, large or small, teaspoon or shovel or truckload, whatever measure you use in which, when you start giving, large or small, will be used. That same measure, truckload, shovel, teaspoon, that same measure will be used to measure what is given back to you. That's exactly what that means. Proverbs 19, 17, I love this. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he, God, will repay him for his deed. God will repay you. You know, oftentimes you've given to somebody, and they did not respond. They didn't fall on their knees and pray to God, or they were not thankful back to you. I remember how I struggled at college, and I decided, that's it. I am going to become selfless. <laughs> I didn't have money, but I had a sandwich. So I'm walking back from college out uh, off the campus to the parking, parking lot as I walk past this homeless man. And I said, brother, there, this is for you. He takes it. I kid you not. It was a peanut butter sandwich, and he throws it into the trash over his shoulder. I'm like, what? 
give me a sandwich. <laughs> you know, I want it back. I'm not going to eat it. I just want it back. And so I realized this one thing right here. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to who? The poor? Mm -mm. Who should repay them? The poor? No, God. Out of His riches repays you for being good to the poor. Proverbs 22.9. Blessed are those who are generous. Blessed are you who are generous. Blessed are you generous. Why? Because you feed the poor. And the household of faith first. Then in Luke 12, verse 25, it says, Can you, can all your worries add a little single moment to your life? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? Hmm. And if you can't accomplish a little thing like that, what's the use of worrying over bigger things? We tend to do that, don't we? Oh, that's a small thing. I'm not worried about it. Oh, but this. Well, your worry couldn't even fix the small thing. How is your worry going to fix the big thing? Look at the lilies and how they grow. Jesus is speaking. He says, they don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all of his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God so cares so wonderfully for flowers that are here today and thrown in the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Isn't that reassuring? Why do we care? He tells us right here, why do you have so little faith? This is why we care. Verse 29, And don't be concerned about uh, what to eat and what to drink. Don't worry about such things. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers all over the world. <laughs> I don't know. I'm sure you saw what I saw. But we really act like unbelievers. He says, verse 29, And don't be concerned about what to eat and what to drink. Don't worry about such things. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers all over the world. But your Father already knows your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else, and He will give you everything you need. Verse 32. So don't be afraid, little flock, for it gives your Father great happiness to give you the kingdom. Let me say it this way. It gives Him great happiness to give you even the kingdom. And you're worried about this. The, great, the, the lesser is swallowed up in the greater. Verse 33, sell your possessions and give to, the, give to those in need. Jesus? Yeah. Sell your possessions and give to those in need. This will store up treasure for you in heaven. And the, and the purses of heaven never get old or develop holes. Your treasure will be safe. No thief can steal it and no moth can destroy it. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. My gift here translates and transforms into a treasure there. Your gift here takes on the form of a treasure there awaiting you. So why do... I participate in points of passion, number one, because Jesus asked me. Number two, because the apostles encouraged me. Number three, because the promises of God urge me. Number four, because eternal purposes compel me to. I am compelled to do this. I am compelled to step over the edge and say, God, I can trust you. 
could somebody, Bruce, do you mind giving me that um, uh, board right over there and putting it up right up against this stand right here? I appreciate it. I want to point out something to you in a nutshell, something we have discussed in depth. We have discussed in depth what, is a, what does a fallen person look like. But I want to put it to you in a nutshell because I feel like Points of Passion is actually about this. It's about eternal values, eternal purposes. And what is an eternal purpose? Is reaching a person that's already dead in their sins and seeing God make them alive. Thanks, brother. Reaching a person that's dead in their sins and seeing God bring them back to life. This is my greatest urgency for participating in Points of Passion. Now, I have not seen this, folks. Just so you know, I asked somebody else to do it. I asked my mom to do this, so... Oh, Lord. Okay, because I can't paint or draw. I asked her to. And here is a lost man. <laughs> fallen, <laughs> fallen man. <laughs> so last night at about 8 o'clock, I called Jen Meyer, and I said, Jen, uh, do you have a mannequin for me? She goes, why would I have a mannequin? <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. I said, <laughs> I said, if anybody had a mannequin, it would be you. Then um, I, she says, no, just get a cardboard and draw something. I said, I can get a cardboard, I can't draw. But imagine fallen man for a moment. And I want you to get a grasp of fallen man for a moment because points of passion is all about this issue. If I was hungry today and you fed me today, I'll be hungry again by tonight. But if... You can't necessarily always change my temporal life here on earth, but what you can do is you can use this crisis for the good so that they can have an eternal hope. But fallen man, if you look at him, you'll see that he has eyes that cannot see. He has ears that cannot hear. Jeremiah 5, 21. He ha his mind is at enmity with God. Romans 8, verse 7. In other words, he cannot see. He's not spiritually discerned. There's a difference between a saved and an unsaved person, right? The saved person is, thinks are spiritually discerned. They go like, thank you, God. Look at the moon. Thank you, Jesus. God, I see you everywhere. I look into the scriptures, and Jesus says something hard, and I go, I'm spiritually discerning. I, I, Jesus, I understand. I get it. They can receive direction, discipline, exhortation, they can receive rebuke, it's okay. Why? They are spiritually discerning. But the fallen man is not spiritually discerning. He is only emotionally discerning. He cannot go where his emotions aren't always fluffed up. Until his emotions are fluffed up, nothing means anything to him. It's like, Dad doesn't do it for me anymore. But the spiritually discerning guy he reads the scriptures and Jesus says something even if it's a hard and he goes, it means so much to me. He, he hears an exhortation and it means so much. 
and he hears, he sees a discipline in the scriptures or a rebuke, and it means so much because he's spiritually discerning. This guy, no, he can't because his eyes are blind, he has ears, and they are deaf. And the Bible says in Romans 8 verse 7 that his mind is at, is at enmity with God. His mind is, is angry and rebellious with God. His mind is an enemy with God. And then the Bible also says in his heart, Jeremiah 17 verse 9, guess what? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. There's no hope. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that the fallen man's heart is a stone. It's a rock. It cannot respond. He is dead in his sins. Can everybody say dead? Dead, dead in his sins. That man has one future only, and that is eternal hell. Dead in his sins. But we have a wonderful opportunity where there is crisis, where there is famine, where there is drought, where there is homelessness, where there is hunger, where there is no water. We have these opportunities to reach this person with what? The gospel. Because it's the gospel of Jesus Christ that is the power to save this person. You see, like the disciples asked Jesus, when they saw Jesus basically making it difficult for an almost perfect man, the rich young ruler, who basically fulfilled all of the laws, and Jesus said, sell everything you got, give it to the poor. Oh, I can't do it. He walked away and his disciples said, his disciples said to Jesus, but Jesus, if he can't, like, who can? <laughs> We're all worse than this guy. I mean, we have been radically corrupted. Every part of who this guy is has been touched by sin. He's not as bad as he could be. Thank, thank God for the common grace of God. Police officers, military, mom and dad, grandmother with a whip, <laughs> you know, <laughs> The Bible says that police officers are the servants of God. And he doesn't give them the sword, the instrument of death, today is a gun, in vain. And you should fear them. Don't break the law. So because of the common grace of God, yeah, evil is restrained. But if this guy had no common grace of God, he will become as wicked as he could be. Because his mind is already an enemy of God. He already cannot see. He's not spiritually discerning. He cannot hear. And his heart is desperately wicked. Desperately wicked. And so the disciples looked when they realized, wow. Well, who can be saved? It's impossible to be saved. And then Jesus said, with man, this is impossible. But guess what? With God, all things are possible. These dead bones can live again. The question I'd like to share today is how? How does this happen? Because today I'm participating in points of passion. I'm going to be praying that God stretches every one of my sacrifices to stretch it and reach even more than could have been reached without my praying. So in America we have to be taught, don't just give, pray. Don't just silence your conscience by throwing a dollar. No, pray, get involved. And believe God for a miracle to take place. In Uganda, in Haiti, in Africa, in the Ukraine, right here in our Jerusalem. Let's pray and believe God 
that what we do here today is holy. It is holy. It is eternal because it will have an effect. It will bring dead men back alive just like Jesus brought Lazarus back to life. So how does this happen? How does this happen? In Romans 10 verse 13. Well, let's go here first. Let's go to Romans 10, 17, if you don't mind. Romans 10, 17 is three verses down. So faith comes by hearing, and that hearing, the good news about Christ. So faith comes, how? By hearing, that is, hearing the good news of Jesus Christ. How is this stony heart going to respond? How is this corpse going to respond? How is this Lazarus going to respond? How? He's dead. He hates God. He can't see. He can't hear. All he wants, his desire, the Bible says, is only evil. How can he come to life? Well, faith can enter his heart. How? When he hears the gospel, which is the good news about Christ. Romans 10, 13 says this, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But he's dead. He doesn't want God. He's an enemy of God. God's his enemy. Verse 14, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching to them? This is every single one of the points of passion ministry crowds that they reach out to. How will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in someone they have never heard of? And how can they hear without somebody telling them or preaching it to them? And number 50, verse 15, and how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. How can this person hear if, if somebody doesn't tell him? How is somebody going to tell him if somebody doesn't come? How is somebody going to go there unless somebody else sends them? And folks, this is what we do. We take one sermon, one service, one offering, and we send. But that echoes and ripple effects throughout the earth all year round. These ministries minister all year round. Isn't that exciting to know? So I want to explain to you the process of fallen man and how this fallen man comes to life. The first essential of salvation is this. God saves him. He does not save himself. Can you all point to him? Say, you cannot save you. Well, let's say it this way. You are not Savior. Let's say it again. You are not Savior of yourself. God saves. We don't. Revelation 7.10 says, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits upon the throne and to the Lamb. Salvation belongs to God. Every single part of salvation is God's design, is by God, and it's ultimately for God. Everything about salvation 
from ABC to XYZ, God did it. All Lazarus did was walk out because he was already alive. <laughs> Romans 10, 17, so faith comes from hearing. That is hearing the good news about Christ. The good news about Christ. So we send people, they go, they preach, this heart hears the gospel, and because of it, God takes His faith and puts it into that heart. You see, you don't conjure up your own faith. God gives everyone a measure of faith, according to as He wishes, as He wills, right? That's what the Scripture says. I'll show it to you in another way. Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 10. For by grace, can everybody say grace? grace. You have been saved through, you have been saved. Can everybody say saved? Faith. Through faith. Can everyone say faith? faith. <clears throat> and then it says this, and that not of yourselves. What not of yourselves? Grace, not of yourself. Salvation, not of yourself. Faith. Not of yourself. That whole entire work is God. We send. They go all year round. They speak and preach the gospel. The dead man hears the word. And because of God's grace, by faith, through faith, God pours faith in there. Did you know this? That you cannot believe if you did not have faith. God enables this heart to believe. <clears throat> Only believe. I can believe because He gave me faith. That's why I can <laughs> and be saved. So the first thing we have to know, the first essential of salvation is that God does everything. The dead man does nothing to bring himself to life. The second essential is that God gives faith to the dead. Grace is not yours. Salvation is not yours. Faith is not yours. These are not of ourselves. This is a gift from God. So when we say, God, thank you for your grace, we should also say, God, thank you for your faith that you fill me with so I can believe. You see, what happens the moment that person's faith comes in that person, he can turn around and believe. In Christ instead of himself. But what happens there is the word regeneration. Now, I'm not going to pronounce the Greek word because I can't. But regeneration is the word genesis, again, and birth. Birth again. To be regenerated is to be born again. And when this dead body, this dead man walks in spiritual darkness, he can't, he's not spiritually discerning, the only way to touch this man is to touch his emotions. But you give him a statement, a rebuke, or exhortation, or disciplining from scriptures, they can't handle it. They have to walk away. They have to go weak. They can only be motivated. So this person right here, the only way for him to be regenerated or come alive is to be regenerated. God has to bring him back to life like he did Lazarus three days later. How does he do it? He speaks the word of the gospel. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ that is the power of God. To raise this man from the dead. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ that raises 
or makes this heart beat that rips out the stony heart and puts in a heart of flesh. And now suddenly, this person, this regenerated person, this born-again person can see the kingdom of God. Unless a man is what? Born again, he cannot see even. He cannot even see. But his eyes open that moment because God infused his own faith in this man's heart. His eyes open. His mind starts understanding, and he can now hear. His heart is no longer stone. It is now flesh. It can start responding. And this man, at this point, when regeneration happens, is when out of a true sense of his own sin, he realized how far he has fallen from the glory of God. He turns away from himself seeing himself as his own savior. And this is why Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, you have to do what? Deny self. He has to deny his own <coughs> savior mentality. His savior complex. Because he, before God touched him, believed that he could save himself if he just tried hard enough. And now he's told to repent from those dead works. They can't save you. You have fallen so far from God's glory, you're a lost cause. Not only because you've sinned, but because you're a sinner. You're both judged and condemned, hopeless and helpless. Can you see that? Even if he never actually committed a bad act, he still goes to hell because he is a sinner. Because something barks doesn't mean it's a dog. But, because I've barked, but dogs bark, <laughs> you know. Because somebody sinned doesn't mean they're a sinner, because saints sin. But because he's a sinner, he will always sin. So regeneration happens when a sinner, out of his true sense of his own sins, turns away from himself, his sense of being a little savior himself, and he turns from himself to Christ. And he uses this faith that God has infused into him to believe Christ as his own savior and Lord instead. This man is now born again. Can you see? I don't know if this is a good enough example, but he used to live thinking that he could save himself. God puts faith in his heart, not of himself, lest any man should boast. His eyes opened, his ears open, his mind starts perceiving and seeing spiritual things, and he recognizes, just like the disciples, well, then who can be saved? And Jesus said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, even this, even you, Glenn, you can be saved. Even you, Lynn, can be saved. I have to do somebody else, too. I don't want just Glenn to think I'm sorry. <laughs> And guess what happens? Did you know that every single part of salvation is a work of God? Every part. This man, now, since he's been given the faith, he now has the ability and the opportunity to turn. The Bible says, and God grants repentance. And this man turns. He's back on himself. Excuse me, everybody. And he looks to that cross. To save him, no longer does he look to himself. When he turns, in other words, when he repents, he turns his back on him. He denies himself. And the faith that God gave him, he uses to believe in Christ. 
this man is now saved. His sins, past, present, and future, are all swallowed up in the cross, and before God he stands cleansed. This is the first repentance. And as he believes, this is what Peter, Peter preached, remember, at the, on the day of Pentecost. He's, they said, what shall we do to be saved? He said, what you need to do is you need to repent from your dead works and believe and you will be saved. He actually threw baptism in there. You guys not familiar with that? <clears throat> this is why we send people. This is why we send people. Because there are many people who are dead in their sins, blind, deaf, their minds are at enmity with God, and their hearts are desperately wicked. Their desires is only for evil, and they need to hear the good news. They're dead in their sins. Their hearts are stone. The only way to change that is if somebody goes and preaches the gospel, which is the power of God, to save and raise the dead. That's why we do it. And that's why, to me, it's always so difficult when people, when people cry over the poor and the hungry. That is horrible. But you know what's infinitely worse? It's throwing a sandwich at this guy, but never giving him the gospel. Here, be relieved for 35 minutes, and then go to your eternal damnation, because I am feeding the poor, and I am caring for the homeless. It is infinitely cruel for us to throw a sandwich at a spiritually dead person. It's cruel if we had the gospel to share. That's why, you know, most of the people that we have in Points of Passion, we know personally. We, we even know the person that Mark Emil's group, minister, uh, uh, um, the person that heads up Mark Emil's group that uh, ministers. Mercy. Mercy Ministry. It's important to know People, be able to call them and say, give me testimonies. What's going on? Are people actually coming alive? No, we fed them. No, are they coming alive? Because it's eternal. When you stand before Jesus, day one, everything you've ever done goes through that fire. Everything I've ever done goes through that fire. And unless it was for His kingdom, for His glory, and for eternity, it burns up. It just burns up. But everything that was done for His purposes, his, for, for eternity and for His glory, that turns into gold that you wear as robes and as crowns. Isn't that exciting? Yes. Am I the only excited person you <laughs> I'm so excited about some of these ministries that we support or become part of, and here's what. Because they don't just leave that person there. They just say, okay, preach the gospel. Okay, sirrah, sirrah, whatever it may be, may be. Go your way. No, they actually work with these people. Ministry in South Africa has been involved with some of those children's homes. And they've had a turnover of two generations. I mean, those, those kids have come and gone, come and gone. Some of them are married and successful. Uh, uh, what's Kids Club, they've even had people that have gone through their program and went, and went to college, came back, have a job, and now join Kids Club as teachers. 
And this is important for us because there is a result of the salvation that I outlined for you today. I outlined for you that God saves, we don't. I outlined to you that God gives faith to the dead. It's not of us. God's grace, God's salvation, God's faith, God's gift, Jesus Christ. None of it is us. It's all Him. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. You can't work for it. It's yours in Christ. And when we take that faith and we turn our backs on our own efforts and we put our faith in Jesus, we believe we're saved. Our sins are gone from as far as the east is from the west. He does not treat us as our sins deserve at that point. There is an ongoing result because of this new creature, because of this new nature, because of this new man. There is a result of this salvation, and this result is very important. It is a continual turning. Not to Christ, but to God. This turning is unto transformation, unto freedom, and unto usefulness. Because repentance is a change of the changing of the mind. I used to see myself as Christ. I used to see myself as my own Savior. I used to work really hard because, you know, I'm a pretty good person. And therefore, I'm saved. I'm my own Savior. Can you see that? But when I realized how desperately wicked I am, and that it's impossible with man to save himself, God gave me faith in my heart now that I was humble. Remember that God gives grace to the humble. Until we know who we are, why would we ever be humble? But when we see who we are, we humble ourselves. God pours His grace upon us. And we, our hearts are filled because we heard the gospel. Now, because of that, we have the opportunity to turn and believe. Turn our backs on self and believe in Christ. And at that point, at that very point, God calls us to keep turning. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and on. He says, I beseech you therefore, my brothers, not to be conformed to the ways of this world, but to be? How? By the changing of your mind, renewing of your mind, the altering of your thoughts. How can this person go beyond just coming alive? He goes beyond his spiritual resurrection by constantly changing his mind. It's a way of life. That's the result of his salvation, a continual turning. But it's not just transformation, it's also victory and freedom. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 and 5, it says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations. <laughs> and every lofty thing that raised, every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every what captive? Every what? Can I hear you guys? Thought. Captive. To the obedience of Christ. What that is, is spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare is the turning of the, turning of the thoughts. It's like, wait a minute. No, no, no. I can't be having this opinion. Remember the word that they used there? <clears throat> I love it. He says, uh, we are destroying speculations. We are destroying speculations. 
And the Word of God is a hammer. The Word of God comes, he goes, yeah, but what about this? Oh, now my whole entire idea of, of I say, let's say the, the idea of salvation is now changed because the Word of God destroys my opinions, my speculations, my perspectives. And when I see a thought rising up against the knowledge of God regarding salvation, regarding grace, rega regarding faith, for by grace you've been saved through faith, regarding anything, I go, okay, I'm changing and I'm going in a new direction. It's a changing of your thoughts. Here's a third one. At the end of the canon of scriptures, the last apostle is still alive. He's abandoned to the Isle of Patmos. And there Jesus appears to him and starts speaking. And he says, write. And, and the apostle John starts writing and he's writing and he's writing. And Jesus' words, inked in red, he says, the first thing I do is I want to address who? The churches. Seven churches, five of them, Jesus corrected. And out of, this, out of those five churches, most of them, he was very pleased with. He says, you know what I like about you? I like your faith. You know what I like about you, Christian? Believer, disciple, what I like about you is how consistent you've been. You know what I like about you, disciple, believer, Christian? You know what I like is just how you did not tolerate these people called false prophets, false apostles, and false teachers. You didn't tolerate. I commend that to you. So he first commends them, and then he goes, but this I have against you. He says, you have allowed some of the doctrines of Balaam and Balak in your church. You have allowed the doctrine of the Nicolaitans in your church. You have allowed... Uh, Jezebel in your church. You have allowed yourself to become lukewarm. And he says, now, repent. This is Jesus at the end of the last apostle saying, now, repent. Or else I will do what? He didn't say, or else I will remove your name from the book of life. He didn't say that. He says, or else, if you don't turn from that, I will snuff out your light with the exception of the Laodiceans, who was because they weren't a church. I will snuff you out. What is that? I'll take your lamp from you. I'll take your light from you. Here were these churches. They, they, they were light carriers. They were light bearers. And they were the beacon of hope in the communities and in the known world at the time. But, they allowed the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. They allowed the teachings of Balaam and Balak. And that is just a bunch of compromise. And so people were compromising in the church. And they allowed Jezebel. And they allowed themselves also, some of them, to go cold at heart or lukewarm at heart. And Jesus said, now, if you don't turn from that, I will take out your light. You will then become an organization that has to rely upon pragmatism. Now, the only way to get people and keep people is you're going to have to work it. What you're going to have to do is you're going to have to Figure out what makes them want to come back. You're going to have to figure out how to keep them pumped up. You're going to have to use every leadership skill that you have to line them up and make them run in the same direction in order to fill this purpose that you have. You're going to have to really work at putting all these people together. And guess what? You can't preach Romans chapter 1. You know why not? Because these people aren't spiritually discerning. You're going to have to just kind of like motivate them every Sunday. That's all. Because you, you they're only emotionally discerning. Are you following me, folks? 
They're only emotionally discerning, but the spiritually discerning individual, he goes like, oh, there's correction. I'll take it. Yeah, I love correction. <laughs> Jesus said that. Woo! Wow. I need to what? Turn my thoughts away from that way into this way. Or See that? So my point with this is why I give and participate partner and become a part of all of these ministries is because in most of them, if not all of them, there's this element where I can see an eternal work taking place. But beyond even an eternal work is some of them take the hand of that person, that person that just came back to life and now walk through with them and say, okay, now listen, don't be conformed to the ways of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Okay, good, 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 good. Oh, here's the spiritual battle. Guess what? You have to pull down those thoughts that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. Pull them down, that's right, and replace them with God's thoughts. You got it? You, got, you change your mind there? Good, good, wonderful. Now, oh, here's John. Here's John, and, and Jesus is actually speaking through him and pinning in red, saying, now listen, you know what? This lukewarmness thing, you need to repent from it. And you know what? This, this compromise thing that you see happening with the, spirit, with the teaching of Balaam and Balak and the teaching of the Nicolaitans, you have to get rid of that. All right, let's keep turning. Why? Because God wants you to be a light. God wants you to be useful in His hand. God wants to turn you into an instrument that He can use. God wants you to be effective in this world. And that's how, that's how this person comes alive and eventually gets there. Was that clear? clear to me. These are the essentials of salvation. And finally, why do I get so eager, excited about points of passion, and I really do, and I actually have skin in the game in a big way, and here's why. Because when I watched Reinhard Bonnke, I can't stop crying about that, but eternal crowns. Think about that man. I wish God could just pull up the curtains of heaven for us to see two days ago. Actually, it was Saturday morning really early. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. But what a pure heart, a pure motive. I'm sure he did a lot of things wrong. But I'm sure that a lot came from it. <laughs> I'm sure he walked in there. And he said, I already know him. <laughs> it was but a fraction of what he expected. <laughs> I'm sure even now he's so blown away. And the crowning has begun for that man. 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 19 says, For what is our hope? What is our hope? Why, why do we just keep on tugging of, slugging away? Why do we just keep on going? Year after year, points of passion. Uh, you know, uh, month after month, we tithe, we bring offerings, we give, we work, we serve, we go, we support, we pray for, we give, we give, we live sacrificially. Why? 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 Look at this. For what is our hope or our joy? What is this crown? of rejoicing. What is this crown? He's speaking about what you will receive when you, get, when you get there, when you step over that line. Is it not even you? Is it not even you? The crown of rejoicing. 
Why can somebody step into heaven and just rejoice as they receive a crown from that judgment that he stands before, which is the judgment seat of Christ? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? The crown of rejoicing is given to those who faithfully witness and who faithfully minister the saving grace of God. This crown has also been named the soul winner's crown. There are five major crowns listed. This is the evangelist's crown. This is the points of passion crown. It indicates here that Jesus will be given a crown to those who have witnessed to others and have been instrumental in helping others hear the gospel. Instrumental in sending so people can hear the gospel, the power of God that saves. Telling others about the grace of God, telling others about Jesus is the greatest thing that you can do for someone while they are here on the earth. It's the greatest thing you can do for yourself. When you help somebody to be led to the Lord, you have just been used as a vessel of God. I close with this. We eagerly participate with a great anticipation, in great faith, with great confidence, in points of passion. Why? Because, number one, Jesus commanded us. Number two, because the apostles encourage us. Number three, because the promises of God urge me to do this. Number four, because the eternal purposes of God compel me. And number five, because the eternal crown of rejoicing awaits him who sacrificially lives towards seeing the gospel spread. Amen.